Well, start this morning, I wanted to give you guys a little bit of insight when it comes to the, the Prado household on Monday uh, mornings, okay? Monday mornings is our day off. For the most part, Monday would be our family day. Uh, but we also use Mondays at least uh, twice a month, every other Monday. We also use it as a, as a day that we do uh, grocery shopping, okay? So we use Mondays. And normally if you go during the weekend, I mean, it, it's just crazy out there. So we use Monday mornings uh, to do grocery shopping. Now, in order for us to save some money, I mean, we, we're all trying to save a little money, right? In order for us to save some money, we go to Walmart. I, I, we just, we've tried different places, and it just seems to, to work that, you know, Walmart is the best for us. And, uh, and also, in order to save some money, we buy a lot of generic products. You guys know what generic products are, right? Okay? Great value brand. I mean, you can't beat great value brand. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's cheap, it's good. Now, we have learned that generic brands can be a blessing. It can be a blessing to our pockets. But we have also learned that some generic brands are just not the real thing. They're just not. They're just not the real thing. In fact, great value chocolate syrup might look like Hershey's. It might somewhat have a little bit of a taste like Hershey's. But you guys believe me. You got to believe me. It is not Hershey's syrup. It is not. In fact, any generic toothpaste might look like Colgate. It might do some of the same things that Colgate does when you brush your teeth. But believe me when I say, it is not Colgate. And if you don't believe me, ask some of the people, after you use it on a Sunday morning, ask them, you know, what kind of brand of toothpaste did I use this morning? They'll probably tell you. So generic, though sometimes can be a blessing, it is not the real thing. And this morning, in the same way, our text will make a distinction be- between generic Christianity that may look like the true thing, it may sound like the true thing, but it is not true Christianity. You see, many of us view Christianity either in thought or in action as a generic belief system that could be added onto our present lives with little or with no change at all. Work habits remain the same. Our studies, if we're students, remains the same. Our leisure times remain the same. The use of our money remains the same. Our goals, our ambitions remain the same. Many of us have bought this generic brand of Christianity that tells us all I need to do is believe. All I need to do is add this belief onto what I'm already committed to. And brothers and sisters, let's read our text this morning and we will see what true Christianity looks like. 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25. 
servants. Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, you, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continue entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of of your souls. Let us pray. Father, Lord, we want to believe this truth this morning. So, Father, please engage our hearts this morning in such a way that this truth becomes our life, Father. We want to be able to live this truth we want to be able to suffer justly for the sake of your name Lord we want to live as believers who trust you even in the midst of much suffering Lord Father I pray that you help me this morning take my focus off myself Loosen my tongue, O Lord, and anoint my lips. And Father, be with us. Move among us. This morning, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, in order for us to get the full picture of what's going on on this text and why Peter is communicating to this audience of his present day, and in fact, to the audience that we have today, ourselves. What is he communicating to them? And why is he communicating this to them? So we must put this text into context. So allow me to do that for you guys this morning. I'm, I'm going to try to do that, put it into context for you guys. First of all, we need to understand that the people that Peter is speaking to are people that are being persecuted. They are being beaten. For being Christians. They are being taken their homes away from them. They are being incarcerated. They are suffering persecution for the sake of Christ. And Peter on verse 9 tells us, and he's telling us this morning, you are an elect nation and a people for God's own possession. Your reason for existence is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is the context. Peter is speaking to them. He's letting them know who they are and what Christ has done. 
Then he goes on to verse 11. He tells them, Therefore, you are strangers. Because Christ has taken you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, therefore, you are strangers and aliens in this world, and your goal is to live such a life that people would glorify God. Guys, verse 9 and verse 11 give us the same goal for us as Christians. Live in a way that shows God is what we have been called to do. But a generic Christianity that makes no change, it makes no difference to how we live, it's not the true Christianity. But you see, Peter doesn't just leave us there. Then he starts giving examples. And on verses 13 through 17, he starts giving examples of Christians and how they are to relate to the state. And then this morning, on verse 18 through 25, he speaks to us. And he speaks to us and he wants to relate to us in another level, on another situation. He shows us how true Christians in a world that hates God are to live. And that is what Peter is communicating to us this morning. And he's doing so by telling us, endure righteousness suffering by trusting God who judges justly. You can follow with me from your notes. Endure righteous suffering by trusting God who judges justly. That is what Peter is communicating to us this morning. Now, we might ask ourselves, well, why are we to endure righteous suffering? Well, we need to understand what righteous suffering is. And we need to understand that righteous suffering, point one, is our call as believers. We have been called to righteous suffering. Now, so, so no one thinks that this teaching here, because Paul is, talk, is speaking to servants, so no one here uh, uh, takes in con- into that into consideration. I want us to understand that Paul is not just speaking to servants. He is also speaking to us this morning. And, and we, can, we can see that as we look at 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. He says, finally, all of you, you see, not just servants, but all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. So Paul is speaking to everyone this morning. This calling belongs to every person in this room who trusts Jesus Christ. Verse 21 shows us, for this you have been called. You were called to be hurt. You were called to be hurt. Palm Vista, you know why? Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. That's why. So we must understand that righteous suffering is our call as believers. We must also understand that righteous suffering is a gracious thing in the sight of God. It is a gracious thing in the sight of God. I think what Peter means here. 
is that God delights in behavior that reflects complete reliance on His grace. Even when the world is against you. Even when the world is against you. My brothers and sisters, when we, out of conscience towards God, look to God for strength and courage and hope and peace in a time of suffering, and as a result, we endure the suffering patiently, we are showing God, and God is pleased. Righteous suffering is a gracious thing to God. And you might ask, Jose, are you saying that God wills the unjust suffering of his people? And when we endure this suffering, that he is pleased? Is that what you're saying? Church, yes, that is exactly what the word of God is communicating to us this morning. You see, this text in 1 Peter 2 assumes that God sometimes wills for his people to suffer unjustly. We saw that in verse 21. 21, You were called to this. But to clear all doubt, we can also see that Peter keeps on with this conversation. And in other areas of, of this letter, he explicitly tells them, for example, in, in, in Peter 4.19, 1 Peter 4.19, he says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And again, in 3.17, he says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. But okay, let's say Peter was wrong. You know, I don't believe Peter. All right. Okay. So, if you doubt Peter's words, will you at least trust the words of Christ this morning? On Matthew 5, verses 10 and 11, the Lord says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Will you believe those words? But not only does Christ approve righteous suffering, but he ends verse 12 of Matthew 5 by saying, Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven. Is, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Brothers and sisters, if you are Christians this morning, God has called you to endure unjust suffering. What I like to call righteous suffering. Without bitterness, without revenge, without the desire to strike back, not returning evil for evil, but doing good to those who hurt you and let you down. That is true Christianity. That is what we have been called to do. So we have been called to this. This is precious in the sight of God. But righteous suffering is also a devotion to righteousness. It is a devotion to righteousness. Church, the question we need to contemplate this morning and that we need to soberly answer 
is not, are we committed to suffering? Peter's not just trying to, you know, come on guys, let's go suffer. The question is not, are you committed to suffering? The question that needs answering this morning is, are we committed to righteousness? In verse 20, Peter describes the suffering that is pleasing to God. For what credit it is if, he says, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Peter doesn't write this whole letter just to encourage people to suffer. They were doing that already. He writes this letter to encourage them to righteousness. To keep on standing for righteousness. Brothers and sisters, the pursuit of righteousness, the pursuit of righteousness will encounter much suffering. You see, let me give you some examples of that. If you pursue self-control, if you pursue self-control, your life will point out excess eating and leisure in the life of others. Is that right? If you pursue purity, it will just point out the sexual immorality of where we live. If you pursue a life that is simple and happy, you are happy living simply. You will show the folly of the love of comfort of luxuries that this world loves. If you walk humbly with your God, you will expose the evil of pride in the hearts of men. This is why Peter writes this letter. He is encouraging them to righteousness. And he is encouraging us this morning to righteousness. Even if that righteousness means that others will come against us. Let this sink in, brothers and sisters. When you do right, you will suffer. When you do right, you will be criticized. When you do right, things will necessarily get better. When you do right, people will not even notice sometimes. When you do right, others will mock you. So this question still stands this morning, church. Will you devote yourself to righteousness even in the face of unjust suffering? I want to speak to children this morning. Children, will you devote yourself to righteousness? Will you stand for righteousness and love and respect your parents? Even when those around you point fingers at you and laugh at you, calling you nerd because of it. And will you stand for righteousness and love the very ones responsible for that abuse? Teens, teens and singles, Will you stand for righteousness and pursue purity even when those around you mock you and call you weirdo because of it? And will you stand for righteousness and love them in return? College students. There's some college students here. 
Will you stand for righteousness as you prioritize God before your studies and as you surrender all your ambitions to God, even if it means a change of major or the unfairness of your professors? And will you stand for righteousness and endure pain of those who will criticize you for it? I want to speak to men. Men, will you stand for righteousness and love your wife even when your co-workers laugh at you and talk behind your back when you avoid their dirty jokes or when you walk away from their dirty talks? And will you stand for righteousness even, even as you pursue them in gentleness to share the gospel to them? I want to speak to ladies this morning. Will you stand for righteousness and respect and serve your husband even when your family calls you crazy for giving up your career? Even when your family calls you crazier for giving submission to your husband, submitting to him? Will you stand for righteousness by not retaliating and loving those who criticize you? Church, will you stand for righteousness? Even if it means sacrificing comfort. Even if it means sacrificing money. Even if it means a better house, sacrificing a better house in another state or in another city. Even if it means sacrifice unto death. Will you stand for righteousness? You see, church... That is what Christ, our Savior, did. And this is what Peter is bringing. He's telling them, stand for righteousness. It is a precious thing in the sight of God, even if you're suffering. And in verse 21, he says, for this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. It is the wonderful truth of Christ's sufferings on the cross for us that gives us the confidence to place our trust on Him and suffer righteously. But then that takes us to the second main point of this sermon. You see, because it's not, it's not, just, it's just, it's not just an example and let's suffer and, 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 and suffer for righteousness. Here's your example, Christ. And he just leaves us there. No. Peter shows us how we are to suffer. And he does this by showing us that God can be trusted. Brothers and sisters, our God can be trusted. You might be sitting here this morning. And you might be saying to yourself, Jose... You just don't understand. The abuse is too much. The suffering is too unbearable. I can hold back the I can't. I can't hold back the anger. I can't hold back the bitterness, Jose, that I feel towards them. It enfolds me. It, it just it, it, I, I just want to burst in anger. I can't hold back, Jose. You don't understand. Nobody understands my friend you you are right Jose Prado probably has hasn't gone to through or is not going through what you're going through so Jose Prado 
does not understand. But I am reminded as I preach to you of a story that I read a while back in a book. And it was a story about a family whose son was terribly burned when he ran into a car with his motorcycle and the the gas tank in the motorcycle exploded and he just got completely burned. And in the hospital's burn unit, he begged his mother to just let him die. Mom, just, I just want to die. She responded by, by inviting friends, inviting family members that would cheer him up, speak to him. But he refused to see anyone. Finally, one day, there was a knock on the hospital room door. When his mother opened the door, there was a stranger with hideous scars all over his face, all over his arms. And the mom just, she just, she just closed the door right away. She didn't want her son to see this man because she felt that, that if she saw him, he was going to get even more discouraged. But the young boy saw the man and he asked his mother to let him in. I want to I see him. Let him in. And when the man came in, the man spoke to the boy. And instead of discouraging the boy, the man actually convinced the boy that there was a reason to live in this world. See, my friends, like this boy, you too might feel like there is no one who understands what you're going through. But God, through our text this morning, reminds us that there is one person in heaven that has the scars to prove that he understands. There is one in heaven who suffered in every way that we do and beyond anything we have gone through while he was here and his name is Jesus Christ. My friends, Christ can be trusted. He understands our suffering. But not only does God understand our suffering, but verse 21 tells us that that suffering was not his suffering. That suffering that he took upon himself was your suffering. So not only can you trust him because he has gone through what you've gone through and even beyond what you've gone through, but you can also trust him because the suffering that he took upon himself was not his, it was yours. How can we ever fail to trust a God like that? Christ's sufferings was for us. When Christ suffered more than any of us have ever suffered, he was standing in our place. He was bearing our sins. Verse 24 tells us, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Church, our our condemnation became his and he took it away from us. So the sufferings in your life, if you trust Christ, are not condemnation for sin. You see, we learned that two weeks ago in Romans 8, 1 through 4. You guys remember that, right? The righteous sufferings of Christians are not a divine condemnation. They are a call to righteousness, a call to holiness. 1 Peter 6, 7 tells us, In this you rejoice. 
Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, on the cross, Christ bore our suffering. Our suffering. He took our suffering. But it's not the only thing that Christ did on the cross. In fact, verse 21, as we just read, tells us that Christ was also leaving for us an example. So that we might follow in his steps. He was leaving for us an example. Christ's suffering leaves us an example to follow. The thick, the, that was the second thing that was happening at the cross. He died for us in order that we might suffer like him. Then Peter goes on to describe this example for us. And he does this on verses 22 and 23. He says, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. And I want to stop right there. Church, this is our calling to endure righteous suffering. It is right here. Not to hurt back. Not to plan to hurt back. Not to burn with bitterness in your heart because you're not allowed to hurt back. We can all testify that it's not easy to do this. Right? It's not. We can all Testify that it's hard not to fall into the deep waters of bitterness when others do us wrong. But church, we need to understand that this is not just an example. What you read here is just not an, it's just not an example. This is a miracle. It is a miracle that we can experience in Christ. It is God's grace that we receive in Christ. In fact, verse 24 tells us that this is the life. We live for Christ. We have died to sin, and now we live to righteousness. So it's not just an example. Oh, I want to be like Mike kind of thing, you know? No. It is the means that takes us there. He died, we died, our sins died in order for us to be righteous, to live in righteousness. My friends, we receive this grace in our righteous suffering. Peter in verse 19 tells us that we receive this grace when we are conscious of God. As I, 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 I told uh, the team back there to, to leave the verses here because we're just going to go through these verses. I mean, it, this text is so rich. And verse 19 tells us that we receive this grace when we are conscious of God. And Jesus gives us the example of what being conscious of God means. He gives us that example on verse 23 It says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Remember I stopped there? Well, this is the reason. This is how he was able to be conscious to God. 
but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That is how Christ was able to be conscious of God. He trusted himself to him who judges justly. Christ handed over to God the whole situation, including himself. He handed over to God those who were abusing him. He handed over to God all the hurt that was happening to him. He handed over to God all the factors that made it the most horrendous outreach act that the world will ever see. He handed it all to God. The only innocent man who has ever lived suffering at the hands of sinners, yet Christ trusted it all into God's hand as the one who would settle the matter justly. He trusted him to him who judges justly. We saw that at the cross. How can anyone, while being beaten and dying on a cross, how can anyone say, my God, my God, forgive them for they know not what they do? Because he entrusted himself to God who judges justly. Church, this is our calling this morning. It's not a mere example to be followed. It is a miracle to be experienced. It's a grace to be received. It is the promise that we need to believe. Do you believe? Do you trust Brothers and sisters, I had some other things that I wanted to share with you, but I, I really feel that the Lord has spoken sufficiently this morning. And I just want to say to you, do you trust that God sees every wrong done to you? That he knows every hurt that you suffer. That he is aware of every motive of those who mock you. And that he is aware of all the circumstances that you are in with perfect accuracy. Do you trust that God is is, is impeccable? He is impeccable in his righteousness. And that he will one day settle all accounts with perfect justice. This, my friend, is what it means to be conscious of God. If we believe this, if God is this real to us, then we will be able to stand and suffer righteously.
Brothers and sisters, remember God. Be conscious of God. Trust God. He will remember and he will reward you for every unjust suffering that you have gone through for his sake. Trust him. Love him. Let us pray. Father, Lord, we worship you this morning, Lord, because you are worthy to be praised. Lord, we thank you that you suffered for us. You suffered in our place, Father. Lord, help us be counted righteous. Lord, help us be able to suffer for your sake. Not because you need our suffering, but Father, because the world hates you. And if we love you, they will also hate us. Lord, help us understand this in such a way that it changes how we live, that it changes how we think, that it changes the decisions that we make, the life that we live, the things that we choose to do and not do. Father, help us stand for righteousness no matter what cause. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.